Trinity Baptist Church. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The word of the Lord. Well, this is week two in our series on joy. And last week we, we kicked it off by just kind of talking about joy and, um, you know, in, in a big picture. This is something that Cindy is doing with our God Quest kids. She has given all of our God Quest kids this joy journal. And every day they are encouraged to write something that is joyful. Uh, and so the, the challenge is to Monday through Saturday, take two minutes. Everybody has two minutes to spare and write down one thing that brings you joy where you, or where you see joy exhibited. And, and she talks about, she goes on and says that not everything is always joyful, but you can always choose joy. And so she's, she's helping our kids to understand what joy is. And so I would just encourage you to do the same thing every day. Just jot something down that this, this is something that I have, have to be joyful about. All right? What I want us to do this morning is talk about joy busters. There are things that, that rob us of joy in our lives. And the way that I, how I'd like for us to do it is I want to walk through a, a passage in the first chapter of Philippians. And I want us to see, I want to contrast what we see in Paul's experience of life with some of the things that rob us of joy in ours. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1, or you can thumb there on your device... We're going to start in verse 12. Paul says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And let me just pause right here. Everybody know where Paul's writing this letter from? Prison. He's in a Roman prison when he's writing this. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now let's pause right there. The first joy buster that I want us to think about is what we'll call living under the circumstances. 
In other words, when you allow circumstances to dictate um, your level of joy in life. Notice the phrase Paul uses in verse 12. He says, what has happened to me? Uh, He says, I want you to know what has happened to me. The, The fact that I've been thrown into prison, the fact that I'm in chains, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is so important because he uses the same phrase down in verse 19. He says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, Paul says, my circumstances, my situation, what has happened to me, the fact that I'm in prison, in chains, it's all good. That's his perspective. Now, if you were in a Roman prison, would that be your perspective? Would you be saying, hey, this is all good? He says it, be, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I'm actually in chains for Christ. In ancient times, they would often literally chain the prisoner to their guard. So it is likely that Paul was chained to, to this palace guard that he calls them. And the palace guard was kind of like Caesar's secret service. So they were, they were the, the you know, guards, the soldiers that, that took care of Caesar. And Paul, his perspective is, you know, I've been trying to get the gospel to Rome for so long. And to get the gospel to, to Caesar for so long. And usually you have to bribe somebody to make that happen. But here I am. I'm chained to these guys. They can't go anywhere. I can tell them about Jesus all day long. Where are they going to go? You know? I mean, that's his perspective. That being chained to these guys is actually a good thing. He's not letting his circumstances dictate to him. Rather, he's choosing joy in the midst of his circumstances. And because of that, our, our, he's choosing joy because Jesus is there and Jesus is at work just as Jesus always is at work. And the other people, the brothers and sisters, are looking at what's going on. They're looking at Paul's perspective and it's kind of firing them up. He says, he says they're encouraged by what they see in me. See, they're looking at Paul and they're saying, man, if, if he's in those circumstances, and he can be joyful, and he's advancing the gospel there, then I could do it where I am. I can do it in my life. Last week, we talked a little about the fact that happiness is circumstantial. That it is this pleasant emotion that's tied to our circumstance. It is um, the thinking, and the thinking around happiness is that if I can have this certain thing happen in my life, if I just had this job or, or this apartment or, you know, if my body looked like this or if I had this lifestyle or if I had that IQ or that education or that level of success, then I would be happy forever. That's kind of our thinking. The problem with that is that all is it's not that those kind of, those things don't make us happy 
The problem is, is that they don't make us as happy as we would like to be for as long as we think they should. You see, the real problem we have is that we're seeking happiness instead of joy. And those are two very different things. The, we talked about this a little bit last week. Happy is a feeling. And feelings just are, right? Feelings are neutral. They're, they're not good or bad, right or wrong, positive or negative. Feelings just are what we feel. But there are pleasant and unpleasant feelings. So pleasant ones are like happiness and serenity and contentment and, uh, I don't know, bliss. Uh, unpleasant feelings are anger and worry and bitterness, those kinds of things. And feelings are very powerful because often we allow our feelings to dictate our life. When, when we greet one another, often we'll ask the question, how are you feeling today, right? And, and, and what we're trying to get at is, is how, are, how are you doing, you know? How, who, are, who are you today? And, and we respond with what we're feeling. The problem with happy is happy is a fickle feeling. Happy is all over the place. And it depends on the circumstances that we're in. So Paul doesn't talk about happy. Paul talks about joy. And joy is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, many of you have read Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard writes a lot about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and Willard talks about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit are, are really conditions of the soul. They, they are a state of being. It is, it is someone who's, whose character is settled. It is, it is a disposition. It is how someone um, acts in life across all circumstances. And so... And we know the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, on and on. Well, think about love for a minute. Love is the will to do good. Love is, is to will good for other people. If you idolize the feeling of love, if, if you idolize the feeling of, of being loved or, or um, you know, being in love, you will not do the hard work that it takes to be a person who loves. You get that? If you idolize the feeling, you won't do the hard work that it takes to be someone who genuinely cares for the well-being of others regardless of circumstance. Think about peace. Um, Willard defines peace as, as the assurance of how things will turn out. And we can have that assurance because we know who God is and we know how the story ends. Um, having peace is the assurance of how things will turn out. Now, 
um, if you idolize that feeling of peace, anybody remember that song? Um, I got a peaceful, easy feeling. Remember that song? Who sang that song? Yes, thank you. The 70s, it was the greatest era of music in the history of mankind. It was... But I digress. Um, If I idolize having that peaceful, easy feeling, I'm not going to do the hard work that it takes to be at peace. Because I'm going to self-medicate or I'm going to conflict avoid. I'm not going to do the things that I need to do so that I can be at peace in all circumstance. You see, joy is the same way. Joy is this this pervasive sense of well-being that is not based on circumstance. It It doesn't matter if I'm in jail or not. It doesn't matter if I'm in chains or not. I can still rejoice. I can still have joy because of who God is and and what he's done for me and the fact that Jesus came and acted and died and resurrected so that joy has victory. See, that's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about happiness. Paul in chains, in prison, had a pervasive sense of well-being, no matter what his circumstances were. Sometimes when we get together, we'll ask, how you doing? And somebody will say, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Friends, if you're a Christian, you should never live under the circumstances. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that his God was over the circumstances, and therefore he could live over the circumstances. One of the joy busters in our life is to wait for circumstances to make us happy. But if you want to live in joy, don't ask God, why am I living under these circumstances? Ask God, how can I live over the circumstances? Where are you in these circumstances? How can I serve somebody in these circumstances? What do you want to accomplish in these circumstances? You see, because if you're going to live with God, you have to live with Him in these circumstances because these are the only circumstances you have right now. So the first joy buster is allowing circumstances to dictate. If you... um, Well, the second joy buster, and we'll call this comparative living. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Because of this, I have joy, Paul says. Paul is not sitting in jail thinking, well, they're out there and I'm stuck in here. 
They're out there and they're able to preach and have great success. And I'm chained to these guys. That's not fair. That's not right. Why do they get to do that and I get, I'm stuck in here? No, Paul's saying, you know, I don't care why they're doing what they're doing. The fact is, they're preaching Jesus and that's awesome. There was a woman who died and she, she went to, to heaven and she's uh, at the pearly gates and, and she asked Peter, what must I do to get into heaven? And Peter says, you need to spell one word correctly. She says, what's the word? He says, love. <laughs> no problem. She spells love. She gets right in. Well, a few years later, Peter asks her to watch the gate while he takes a break. And so she's at the gate, and wouldn't you know it, while she's there, her husband comes. She says, how are you doing? He says, well, really, I'm doing quite well. You know that, that pretty nurse that took care of you when you were in the hospital? We got married after you died. And then I hit the lottery. And so that little house that we were living in, we sold that, and we bought this big, beautiful house. And so I was living in this beautiful house with my beautiful new bride. And, and then we were traveling, and we went on this ski vacation in the Alps, and I had this accident, which brings me here. And I'm kind of surprised that I'm here in heaven. What must I do to get in? She says, you have to spell one word correctly. He said, what's the word? She said, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) See, when we live comparatively... We're not going to experience joy. You will never see a joyful person who is envious of other people. There was an article in Psychology Today this past fall, and you can Google it and read the whole article. But it's called, um, what's it called? It's called, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Feel Happier. And the point of the article was that happy people don't compare themselves. Happy people are, are those who genuinely um, are for the success of other folks. It, it's like, you're being successful in this? It's, their feeling isn't, oh, I wish I was. Or, or, it's just, well, good for you. That was Paul's perspective. Paul was not in jail comparing himself to those who were out of jail. Paul was saying, hey, they're preaching Jesus. Good for them. A great place to start with this. If there's somebody in your life who you envy, somebody in your life that you're constantly comparing yourself to for one reason or another, Just start praying for them. Pray that God will continue to bless them. Pray that they will continue to succeed in what they're doing. Third joy buster. And we'll call this solitary living. If you 
don't want to experience joy in life, do life alone. Just do it by yourself. Some people think of the Apostle Paul as this, you know, brilliant but cranky old guy who nobody got along with. But if you read his letters, you see a very different picture of Paul. Um, Just look at the language in in this chapter. If you go back a little bit, Paul says in verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He says in verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. And look at the emotion. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Imagine how they felt hearing these words from the Apostle Paul. Verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He calls them his brothers and sisters and he, and he pours out his heart to them because he is filled with joy because of the life they've shared. And they're, they've got to be experiencing joy as they're reading this. You see, God wired us to do life together. That's why Paul says, if you skip down to verse 25, he says, I'd love to go be with God, um, but I think that if I keep on living, it will bring joy to your faith. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick around so that we can keep doing this together. Friends, if you want to experience joy in life, then do life with other people. Don't do it alone. Because God created us for community. And, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why we talk so much about small groups here. Why we encourage you know, all of us to be involved in a small community of people who will do life with us. Who we can really share life with. That's, that's why one of our core values as a church is, is significant relationships. And we, we try to facilitate those significant relationships. Why? Because God wired us for that. And that's part of what helps us experience joy in life. Fourth joy buster, and we're done. Let's call it pessimistic living. If you don't want to experience joy in life, if you want to just rob yourself of joy, just be a pessimist. That'll work. Paul went the other way. Second part of verse 18, Paul says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to have joy. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's writing this from jail. And he says, no, I'm, I'm going to keep rejoicing because I know that this is going to turn out to be a great thing. Paul is, is this huge optimist. So much so that he can't find the words for it. And so what does he do? He creates a new word. There's... There's a word in this passage that is non-existent in literature until the Apostle Paul. Paul creates this word to describe what it's like for him to get up in the morning. He takes the three little Greek words, the, the word from, the word head, and the word stretch. And he 
puts them all together into, the, into this big compound word, ap, apokeridokian. Just say that with me, apokeridokian. Um, it's, this, it's this word that, that is kind of like a runner who's, who's straining to get to the finish line. And, and he's just so focused on the line that's in front of him and he's stretching in every cell and every you know, muscle is just straining to get there. And he's so expectant of crossing that finish line. That's what Paul's trying to convey. That it's, it's just right there. But even that word, apokeridokian, is not enough for him. And so he adds the word hope. And he says, sitting in prison, whether he doesn't know if he's going to live or die, verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope. I eagerly expect and hope. I wake up in the morning, I eagerly expect and hope. I look at my chains, I eagerly expect and hope. The word is about to come on whether I will live for the rest of the day, and I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are you going to do to a guy like that? I mean, how are you going to stop a guy like that? What is, what is prison ever going to accomplish on a guy like that? Paul is not just a little optimistic, and Paul is not misguided or groundless in his optimism. His optimism is all based on Christ. You see, for Paul, life is summed up in Christ. He is inspired by Christ. He is guided by Christ. He is loved by Christ. He is held by Christ. He is sustained by Christ. He is intoxicated by Christ. He serves Christ. He loves Christ. He follows Christ. He trusts Christ. He lives for Christ. Christ is his magnificent obsession. And Christ is the orientation of all of his life. And so, even though he's in prison, his circumstances aren't going to dictate to him. But his confidence in Christ dictates to him. And so he has great joy. And there's this little two-word question that kind of sums it all up. It's in verse 18. And it's translated, but what does it matter? I have all these problems, but what does it matter? In the Greek, it's only two words. Tiskar. So what? Big deal. Who cares? Tiskar. I'll give you a great question this week. If anything goes wrong, and things will go wrong this week, if anything goes wrong, so what? For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what? Things go south at the office, so what? I'll fix them tomorrow. The deal falls through, so what? 
There'll be other opportunities. The pastor messes up. So what? <laughs> Send him to pastor rehab school, you know, down in the Bahamas or something. Um, Failure, disappointment, chains, prison, rivals, suffering, poverty, martyrdom. So what? The important thing is, in every way, the magnificent Christ has acted, was crucified and resurrected, and therefore the kingdom of God is coming down here, and I get to be a part of that. And because of this, I will rejoice. Because of this, I will have joy. No matter what happens tomorrow, I will continue to rejoice because joy is not a feeling of happiness based on circumstance. It is a condition of my soul based on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It is a pervasive sense of well-being. It is the only rational response to the resurrection of the Redeemer. Joy is the eager expectation. It is the apokaradokian and hope that makes prisoners filled with anticipation of what this great God stands ready to do. It is God is great. God is great. And so, because he is, we can say, so what? In the midst of pain and darkness and despair and depression and even death. That's what joy is. And that's what Christ came to give us. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the blessed assurance that you are mine. Thank you that even in the here and now, we get a foretaste of heaven divine. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to wake up in the morning with the expectation and hope that Paul had that whether we live or die today it doesn't matter so what because we know that the battle's already been won the victory is already ours we know how the story ends we win and so no matter what today throws at me I can have joy I pray Lord that we would not be people who live under the circumstances. We would not be people who live comparatively or live alone or live pessimistically, but we would be people who look to you in all things and allow you to be our joy. And Lord, as we come to the table this morning, help us to remember what Hebrews says about you enduring the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before you. 
that you went to the cross, your body was broken and your blood was shed so that we might have life. We were, we are your joy. I pray, Lord, that that would encourage us, that it would inspire us. I pray this for your name.